0: the redemptive work that we find throughout the entirety of Scripture. Thankful for what Christ has done for us, the redemption that we have. Amen. He's redeemed us. He's bought us out of that slave market of sin, and I'm thankful for that tonight. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter number 13 tonight. Acts chapter number 13. We're going to finish up our, our message, really, that we began Sunday morning entitled, All Power, All Nations, and All Things. And of course that comes from Matthew chapter number 28. And Sunday we looked at our first truth from Matthew 28 and we saw that there is a mandate that must be obeyed as we think about the matter of missions and get ourselves prepared for missions. And really we ought not have to take time to get prepared. We ought to be prepared all the time because we ought to be thinking about the mission field that God has given us. It's not just about foreign missions. It's about our mission field here in West Tennessee. But there's a mandate that must be obeyed, and that mandate is to go. And then Sunday night, uh, we looked at our second truth there in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And we said that there is money that must be offered. Now, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is not speaking just about missions, but we have great principles in those two chapters about the matter of giving and about the matter of money and about the matter of offering and they uh, in those two chapters they're not really speaking it's not really speaking about uh, the tithes and offerings per se it's speaking about a gift that was given really in uh, in excess of that to the church in Jerusalem that was in great need and so we saw some uh, wonderful truths about the matter of giving and then in Acts chapter number 13 tonight we'll finish it up and I want us to see our third truth that we find here in Acts chapter number 13 tonight and that is this that there are men who must be ordained there's a mandate that must be obeyed we have to go and that's all of us there's money that must be offered if people are going to go to the foreign field and by the way if we're going to do the work that God has called us to do right here there's money that must be offered but thirdly tonight as really we, we kind of fix our attention more upon foreign missions tonight, number three, there are men who must be ordained. And I said it a couple Sundays ago, I'll say it again tonight, I have no doubt, I, I believe with all my heart that God's still calling. Yep. But I just believe that people, men, are not heeding that call. God still calls. God still wants people God uses us, right? We don't understand that sometimes because we're we're unlovely, we're we're many times we aren't very good tools, are we? But God still uses us. And he's still looking for individuals who will heed the call. Look here at Acts chapter number 13 and we'll begin in verse number 1 tonight. There are men who must be ordained. And I want to give us three characteristics of these men. We'll spend a little bit more time on the last characteristic tonight. But there are men who must be ordained. The Bible says now they were in the church that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers. As Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, The Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. You say, well, what was the work? Well, it's missionary work. And we'll see that in the remainder of chapter number 13. And really you see that all throughout the remainder of the book of Acts. But he says, uh, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Seleucia and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And so let's look at this tonight. There are men who must be ordained. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help and we'll look at this chapter tonight and see uh, the truths that God gives us in Acts chapter number 13. Father, uh, again we thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. We thank you for this middle of the week where we can come and, and really just take a deep breath and be encouraged from your word tonight and I pray that that would be the case. Father, I pray that you would teach us and help us tonight and really fix and tune our thoughts toward this matter of missions, especially as we get ready to have these families in this next week. And Father, I pray that you'd help us once again. Just remind us of the great need. Remind us of the great commission that you've given us. And we have a responsibility to fulfill the entirety of that great commission. And so, Lord, we pray that you teach us and help us tonight. Help our children and our teenagers next door. Father, I pray that the Word of God would be placed into their hearts one more time tonight. And Father, I pray that if there would be young people who need to be saved, I pray that tonight would be that night. I pray for young people who need to be strengthened in You tonight. I pray that, that would be tonight would be that night as well. Father, Your Word does the work, whether it's the saving work, whether it's the strengthening work. Father, Your Word does it, not us, not, not, not some uh, opinion from man. It is Your Word. And so, Lord, I pray that we would give Your Word with clarity and truth tonight. And we'll thank you for what you will do in response to that. And so, Lord, just teach us tonight. We'll thank you and praise you for it. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Number one tonight, there are men who must be ordained. Uh, number one, what are the characteristics of these men? We already mentioned number one, first of all, men who are called. Men who are called by the Holy Ghost, not called by Uh, an individual, but called by the Holy Ghost. The Bible says there in verse number 2, and they ministered to the Lord and fasted, or excuse me, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And then verse number 4, so they being sent forth by... The Holy Ghost. If you're saved in here tonight, you have the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the the, the seal of that promise that the Lord Jesus Christ has given us. We are sealed with the Holy Ghost, Ephesians chapter 1 tells us. And so, if you're here tonight and you're saved, you have the Holy Ghost. Right? You have the Holy Ghost tonight. And, And the Holy Ghost calls and moves and stirs in the hearts of individuals, in the hearts of Christians... And it's up to us to respond to that. And I believe, again, with all my heart, the Holy Ghost is calling and stirring and moving in hearts for people to respond. But we've gotten so comfortable in our American churches and in American Christianity that we've taught our children that, that it, it's better to stay at home and to get a job and to make money and to live comfortably than to go and do what God has called them to do. Now I'm not against, look, if if God calls your children to to stay and live next door to you and and to have a job that, that provides for them very well, if that's God's will, that's God's will. But we need to teach our children to be sensitive and yielded to the will of God. We saw it Sunday night in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. They first gave what? Before they gave their money, what did they give first? Themselves in verse number 5. They gave themselves. We'll never give the money we're supposed to if we don't first give ourselves. Just to say, Lord, whatever you'd have me to do, whether it's to go to a foreign field, whether it's to go next door, whatever you'd have me to do, here I am, all of me. And so number one tonight, men who are called. By the way, h- hold your place here in Acts 13. And gl- real quickly, and I believe this will, uh, there's only a couple places I'll have you go extra tonight besides Acts 13. Look with me at Galatians chapter number 2 quickly, if you would. Galatians chapter number 2. There are men who must be ordained. First of all, men who are called. Look at Galatians 2, verses 7 through 9. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, notice verse 8, For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. Paul said, look, when they realized that God had actually called us to the Gentiles, to the uncircumcised, as opposed to the circumcised, when they realized that, in verse number 9, he said, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me. Excuse me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship. And there in Galatians two, he's speaking of the call of God on his life. Now, not everybody agreed with that at first. You're going to go to the heathen. You're going to go to the Gentiles. Yeah, because that's where God has called me to go. And the Bible says that when they saw, they perceived that that grace was given to Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles. They gave them the right hand of fellowship. So number one tonight, men who are called. Secondly tonight, men who are commissioned. Men who are commissioned. Look back at Acts chapter number 13. The Bible says in verse number 3, verse 2, it says, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work. And then in verse number 3, the Bible says, and when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they did what? They sent them away. There's the ordination part. They were commissioned to go out. By the way, that was done under the authority of the church here in Antioch. Missionaries ought to be sent out. Now, I understand there are boards and I understand all of that, but a missionary is commissioned and ordained and sent out under the authority of the local New Testament church. And I understand today that we have individuals who go out on their own and and, and they don't go out under the authority of the church, Personally, and you can argue with me on this, but you have to argue with Acts 13. Personally, I don't believe that's biblical. That doesn't mean that they're not doing a good work. That doesn't mean that they can't see people saved. But they're not doing it biblically. Because biblically, a missionary is sent out under the authority of his local New Testament church. So, there are men who must be ordained. Men who are called and men who are commissioned. Ordained, And then let me give you number three. and We'll spend a little bit of time right here. Number three, men who are called, men who are commissioned, and thirdly, men who are constrained. Because in the remainder of Acts chapter number 13, it would have been very easy for Paul and Barnabas to come back home. By the way, John Mark does it. We'll see that in the passage. In the passage, Paul says John is with us, speaking of John Mark, and we find out a little bit later in this same passage that John goes back home. Okay, it would have been easy at some point for individuals, for for these individuals specifically, Paul and Barnabas, to say, you know what, uh, uh-uh. uh, we're going back home. And so when someone goes and goes to the mission field. Look, there has to be a call, a Holy Ghost call. And there has to be a commission. But I would submit to us tonight that they have to be men who are constrained. Constrained by what? The love of Christ. We saw, we saw the verse Sunday. You don't have to turn there, but let me read it for us if I could. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians 5 verses 14 and 15. The Bible says for the love, here's the Apostle Paul. He says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. You know what Paul is saying there? And it's just in two short little verses, and we'll read verse 15 in just a second. But in in two short little verses, there's so much wrapped in there. He says, look, it's the love of Christ that constrains me to keep doing what I'm doing because I understand that all of us were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but one came and died for all of us so that we could live. And now the life that we live, we don't live it for ourselves. We live it for the one who died for us. Listen to verse number 15. And that He died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. Whether I go to the foreign mission field or whether I serve on my mission field right here in West Tennessee, I do. I ought to be constrained by the love of Christ ought to be constrained to continue and to be committed because of what Christ did for me and because of everything He paid for me. We we talk about the cross, and we mentioned it last Wednesday night, the beauty of the cross of Calvary, and we talk about that. But listen, the cross of Calvary, because of that, I owe Him everything. I owe Him my life. By the way, whether I'm a pastor or whether I'm a farmer, As a Christian, I owe him my life. I owe him everything. Because the Bible says, If one died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. And by the way, down in verse number 20, it speaks about us being ambassadors for Christ. There are men who must be ordained, men who are called, men who are commissioned, and men who are constrained. And I want to give you three three things here. Why they need to be constrained. They're, they're, the, the calling ought to constrain them, absolutely. The fact that the Holy Ghost has called them ought to help them to be committed and continue. But I'm going to tell you what... the. the Based on what the Apostle Paul says over and over and over again, the Apostle Paul says the love of Christ constraineth us. It holds us tightly. It binds us so that we do what God has called us to do. And we're not going to quit. Remember just a couple weeks ago in 2 Timothy 3, Paul's telling Timothy, Phygelus and Hermogenes, they left. Evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. But Timothy, don't you quit. Timothy, you continue. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. He said, continue. Well, what keeps us going? Is it just... Is it just because some Christians have more, whatever that is, than others? Now let me say this, some days, that, some days that's maybe all you have. Some days responsibility and duty may be all you have. And you know what? You keep doing it. But you know what keeps us going? It's the love of Christ. Because that's the message that we have. That's what we have received. And as Paul says, I am debtor. I have received it and I am debtor to give it to others. And so that's why we keep doing what we do. That's why we keep living the way we're supposed to live. That's why. And by the way, maybe we'll come back to this next week sometime during the conference. But in Matthew chapter number 28, uh, I thinking even today. Well, we didn't even talk about this Sunday. But in Matthew chapter number 28 when it says go. Go ye therefore. Wouldn't it be a shame if we would go across the street or we would go around the world and we don't even go to the people in our home? That we neglect the very people that God has given, the mission field that God has given us right in our home? Go ye. Okay, well, let's start right here. Let let, let me start right in my home. What a shame it would be for a pastor or a missionary or or anybody who is in full-time Christian service to to serve and to to try to help others and to try to help the homes of other people and let their own home go to hell. What a shame. That's, That's the first mission field is right in the home. Men who are constrained. Why do we need to be constrained? First of all, because there's a satanic menace. Look, if you would, let's begin at verse number 5 because there's a satanic menace. There is an enemy, the world of flesh and the devil, who does not desire for the Word of God to be preached, for the gospel to be given, for the gospel to go to the ends of the the earth. Verse number 5, And when they were at Salamis, they preached the Word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. And when they had gone through the isles unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called Barnabas—excuse me—who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. So here's the deputy, Sergius Paulus. He's called for Barnabas and Saul. He wants to hear the word. But here's this sorcerer who tries to stand in the way who tries to turn away, the Bible says in verse number, uh, verse number 8, tries to turn away Sergius Paulus from the faith. And I love Paul's reaction. Verse number 9. Then Saul, who is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. Set his eyes on Elimus, on this sorcerer, and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil... Thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord. Now if you said that today, people in the church house would say you're so unkind. You shouldn't talk that way. Paul did. Paul looked him in the eye. And he said, you're full of all subtlety. He said, you're full of all mischief. He said, you are a child of the devil. He said, you're an enemy of righteousness. He he said, what thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be, what's the word there? Blind. Not seeing the sun for a season, and immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed. Being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Now, when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John departed from them, returned to Jerusalem. Men who are constrained, and we must be constrained because there is a satanic menace. Drop down, if you would, to verse number 50 toward the end of the chapter. The Bible says, But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. And the disciples were filled with what? Joy! Why? Because they're constrained by the love of Christ. but Because they're constrained of uh, with the message of Christ and the redemption that Christ offers And the Bible says they were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Men who are constrained. We must be constrained because there is a satanic menace. Moms and dads, you must be constrained tonight to continue to be biblical, spiritual moms and dads in the home because there's a satanic menace who desires for you not to be that and desires for you not to lead your family. Hey, dads, there's a satanic minister, there's an adversary, there's a world, flesh, and devil who doesn't desire for you to lead your family and to disciple your family. We've said it many, many times. Listen, the church is here to, to, to help and really the church is here to reinforce what's going on in the home. But daddies, it's up to you to disciple your children in your home. It's up to you to lead your children in your home. And then when they come here, they're just getting reinforced everything they've already gotten at home during the week. And the pastor and the Sunday school teachers and and everybody else, they're reinforcing what you're doing at home. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews 10 that when we come together, we provoke each other to love and to good works. We're encouraging each other because we're just reinforcing each other to love. Hey, continue on. Hey, keep being a good daddy. Keep being a good husband. There's a satanic menace out there. And these missionaries that are coming Sunday, listen, I know two of them are already on the field. Two of them we already support. And another one's been on the field for quite some time. And another young couple that's just going to the field. Listen, there's a devil who does not want them to continue. Must be constrained by the love of Christ. There has to be a calling, absolutely. If there's no calling, they'll quit. Somewhere down the line, they'll quit. There there has to be something more than just, well, I think being a missionary is a cool thing. No, there's got to be a Holy Ghost calling. Has to be a commission. There has to be a church back home and other churches, but there has to be a church back home who's praying, and as as the Bible speaks about, about holding the robe, says with the Apostle Paul, a a church back home that's praying and interceding and sending gifts and sending encouragement. Men who are called, men who are commissioned, Men who are constrained because there's a satanic menace. But secondly, because we have a salvation message. Must be constrained. By the way, that's what they're preaching here in Acts chapter number 13. That's why Elimus is pushing back. That's why Elimus is is contending with them. That's why Elimus in verse number 8 is seeking to turn Sergius Paulus, the deputy from the faith. Notice verse number five. The Bible says, "And when they were at Salamis, they did what? They, what's the word there? Preached. Preached the word of God in the synagogues." Look at verse number seven, which was the deputy of the country, uh, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and saw it and desired to do what? To hear the what? The word of God. Uh, look at verse number twelve. Verse number twelve. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the what? Doctrine. Of the Lord. And then let's begin in verse number 14. But when they departed from Perga, and I'm, I'm just going to read this, we're not going to stop and, and, and uh, elaborate a whole lot just for sake of time. But here we, here we have a message beginning in verse number 14. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. Now, if he's going into the synagogue, who primarily is he going to be preaching to? To the Jews. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, I, lo- I, I love this too. You men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Whew. That's just an open door for Paul, right? He said, hey, if you have anything to say. Did Paul have anything to say? Oh, he's going to say it, isn't he? He said, say on. Then Paul said, st- by the way, we have something to say. Say on. You have something to say at your place of work. Say on. You have something to say in your home. Say on. You say, well, Pastor, boy, just the day we live in, it's hard with my kids because all of their friends, their parents do something different. Here's the difference, though. You have the backing of the authority of God's Word. They don't. Those parents just let kids do whatever they want to do. They don't have any authority on which to stand. But if you help your children to stand on the truth of God's Word, you are backed by the authority of Almighty God. And after the reading, or excuse me, verse number 16, then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people and they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an high arm brought them or excuse me, he them out of it. About the time of forty years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. And after that he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward they desired a king. And God gave unto them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David." Son of Jesse. Here's that great verse. A man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed hath God, according to His promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. When John, had first, excuse me, when John had first preached before His coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he. But behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is this, excuse me, is the word of this salvation sent. There's a satanic menace, but there's a salvation message. And we have to be constrained to give it, to say on, to continue. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. Excuse me, him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. And He was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings how that the promise which was made unto the fathers God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children and that he hath raised up Jesus again. Hey, don't miss that. The last part of verse 32. How that the promise which was made unto the fathers. The story of redemption is not just in the New Testament. The story of redemption begins in Genesis. By the way, it begins in Genesis it begins in Genesis chapter number 3. And the story of redemption is, is, is scrolled and, and, and woven all throughout the Scriptures. And He said, look, what, what the, the prophets gave your fathers, the promises which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled. God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that He hath raised up Jesus again. As it is also written in the second Psalm, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten Thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid into his fathers and saw corruption. He's saying, look, it wasn't talking about David. It's talking about Christ. It's talking about Jesus. But he whom God raised again, saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, through this man, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. It's not by our works. It's not by our good deeds. We are justified. Our sins are forgiven through the finished work of Christ. He says, Beware therefore, in verse 30, lest that that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold ye despisers and wonder and perish. He said, Look, hey, don't don't let what has already been prophesied, don't let that happen to you. Don't don't be a despiser. Don't be a wanderer. He said, For I work a work in your days a work which ye shall in no wise believe, Though a man declared unto you, he said, "Don't don't be those people that don't believe." Even though I'm here today, declaring it unto you, I'm declaring to you the truth. I'm declaring unto you what the fathers, or excuse me, what the prophets had promised to your fathers. I'm declaring it unto you today. Believe it. Verse forty-two. When the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes following Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. Why were they filled with envy? Because they're getting ready to lose their people. Many of these Jews, they're getting ready to believe on the Messiah. So what are they going to do now? What are, what are these leaders going to do now? They were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas, what's the next two words? Wax bowl. It's because of the love of Christ because of the salvation message that they were given, they were commissioned and called to go spread. They waxed bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. Again, he's speaking to Jews. He's he's in the synagogue. He says, but seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves. This is a wonderful phrase, isn't it? Not wonderful for them, but it's wonderful in its language. He said, you judge yourselves unworthy. And judge yourselves unworthy of what? Everlasting life. And By the way, that's what anybody who rejects the message of Christ does. They judge themselves unworthy of everlasting life. He says, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And when the word of the Lord is published throughout all the region, men who are called, men who are commissioned, men who are constrained. Why? Why do we need to be constrained? Why, why do we constantly need to be um, gripped by the love of Christ? Because there's a satanic menace. And boy, we we just see it today, don't we? I mean, it's it's in our face. It's like a limus. It's there. But no matter. No matter the satanic menace, we have a salvation message. It's got to be preached. It's got to be given. Because that's the only way to everlasting life. It's the only way to eternal life. And then I'll give you number three tonight. We need to be constrained. Because no matter what we go through, no matter the satanic menace, as we saw in Matthew 28, he says, in verse 18, he said, said, I have all what? I have all power. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then in verse number 20, he says, I am with you always. Number three. We have a supernatural might. We have a supernatural might. We have a satanic menace. We have a salvation message. But number three, we have a supernatural might. Let let me read you a verse real quickly and then we'll finish up on that. I want to read you a verse from 1 Corinthians chapter number 9 before we leave the salvation message. Let me do this real quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9 and verse number 16. The Apostle Paul says, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me, if I don't do what? If I preach not the gospel. If I preach not the gospel. Pastor, why do we have a ten o'clock salvation or excuse me, visitation and soul winning time on Saturday? Is is there something magical or let me say it this way: Is there something supernatural about Saturday at ten o'clock? Absolutely not. But we have a salvation message that must be proclaimed, and we must go forth with the supernatural might that God has promised, and we must do it, whether it's Saturday at ten or whether it's tomorrow, Thursday at 11 o'clock, when you're in a grocery store, or or you're at work, or wherever you may be. We don't have to be afraid. Because we have a supernatural might that goes with us. Notice again verse number 11 of Acts 13. In verse number 11, he, He has just spoken to Elimus. And in verse number 11, and now behold, the hand of who? The Lord. Not Paul's hand. He says, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind. Supernatural might. Look again at verse number 46. The Bible says, then Paul and Barnabas did what? Waxed bold. Why did they wax bold? Because they're going forward in that supernatural might that God promised in Acts chapter 1 verse number 8 and Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20. Men who are called, men who are commissioned, and men who are constrained. And friends tonight, dear church family at Maranatha Baptist Church, every single one of us tonight, we don't have to go to the foreign mission field to be constrained. The love of Christ ought to constrain us tonight to say that, hey, no matter what persecution or adversary comes against me, I have a salvation message that has to go forth. It's got to go forth. And wherever, whether it's on a Saturday knocking on a door of a person that we've never met, or whether it's on Monday talking to the person that we've worked with for 20 years, or the lady at Walmart that checks us out almost on a weekly basis, the salvation message has to go forth and we don't have to be scared because we have a supernatural might. Now listen, I'm no different than, than, than most of you in here tonight. Look, when you, when you knock on a door, you don't know who's coming. There, there's that little bit of... Who's behind that door? But you know what that does? You know what that, that little bit of... does for us? It helps us say, God, I need you. I need that supernatural might that you've promised God, Christ, that power in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen, that you said that, that you said you have, and you do have all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. I need that right now, Lord. You said you would be with us all way, Lord. I need that promise right now, because the truth is, if I could go to every single door on a Saturday and never have any trepidation, then I'm going in my own power. Instead of saying, Lord, I, 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 I'm a little fearful about this door right here. I need you. Especially when you hear three old big dogs hit the door as soon as you knock. And you put your foot up against the door. I don't know if that door is secure, and so I'm going to put my foot on it. Supernatural might. There's a mandate that must be obeyed. Go there's money that must be offered and there are men who must be ordained. Men who are called, men who are commissioned and men who are constrained by the love of Christ. And whether it's around the world, whether it's to Africa or Russia, Sri Lanka, or Thailand, wherever it may be, or whether it's in Gates, Tennessee, The Great Commission is still the Great Commission. And people need the gospel. My kids in my home need the gospel. The kids in this church need the gospel. That's why we start, that's why this is part of our Great Commission right here. Because they need the gospel. Because our neighbors need the gospel. I'm praying, and I, I don't know if you are. I hope you would. I pray that you would. I'm praying the Lord will call some of the young men and young ladies in our church to be pastors and pastors' wives and missionaries and missionary wives and evangelists and evangelist wives. That'd be a wonderful thing. Amen. Pastor, I want, my, I want my kids to live right beside me all their lives. If God wills that, okay, fine. But what if that's not His will? Don't don't hold them. Don't hold them away from God's will. Will it be hard? Sure. But don't hold them away from God's will because the best place to be is in the center of God's will. It's the best place to be. Don't hold them back from God's will. Pray for God to send young men and young ladies out of this church. To go to the mission field. Now as a pastor, I, I struggled a little bit with that because I want them to stay here. I want them to grow up and serve here because I know they've been trained here. I know what they believe. I know what they've been taught. I know they've been taught the truth of God's Word. So it would be great if they just all stayed here and worked and served. But that's probably not God's will. So God, if you want to send them... If you want to call them, here's my prayer. You're going to do the calling, but my prayer is is that they will heed. That they'll heed. And when the Holy Ghost stirs, that they'll say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, Lord, I'll go. Father, we thank you for the time you've given us tonight. Father, we thank you for the Word. We thank you for Matthew 28. Father, we thank you for what you've taught us in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And then Acts 13, and even though, Father, we just went very quickly tonight. Father, may you help us to be a church that obeys the mandate, that offers the money, and that Lord willing will be able to ordain some men. God, help us this Sunday, this next week, in our missions conference. Father, use these families that are coming in the way that You would choose to use them, but Father, also use us to be a breath of fresh air for them, a blessing to them. Father, help them to understand that they're, they're not here to please us, they're here to please You. And Father, help us just to be a blessing to them. Father, I do pray for our young people, if You would call some of our young men, some of our young ladies... Father, would you help them, give them the courage, faith in your promises. Would you give them the courage to submit and surrender to that calling. Father, we love you tonight. I pray that you'd hear us as we pray. Be with our business meeting to come. May you be honored in everything that's done. And Father, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.